Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Well, happy Mother's Day to everyone here at West Campus, at Southwest Campus, Bonnie Dune, Far to Lose, and online. This Mother's Day is a little bit different. Typically, it's me and the kids celebrating Christina. Uh, But this year I have my mom visiting from Vancouver, my mother-in-law and father-in-law who just moved here a few weeks ago, they're here too, so we were going to, I was going to smoke something, meat, I was going to smoke meat, yeah, Uh, I've had to clarify a few times in between services, Uh, but with this fire ban, apparently you can't uh, smoke with wood and charcoal and all that stuff with the embers. So we'll have to do that another day and have a different sort of dinner today. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what our Mother's Day is going to look like. Now I know Mother's Day can bring up a lot of different emotions. There are many who, it's their first Mother's Day as we saw with the child dedications. And I know that there's some of you here, it's your first Mother's Day without your mom. Uh, There's some of you here, it's yet another Mother's Day without being a mom, as that's on your heart and in your desire. There's a lot of different emotions uh, in addition to the game tonight that are, I bet, swirling around (laughs) in people's hearts and minds. But I pray that today in this message, you would hear the voice of God, the voice of our Father calling to you and expressing his love, his, his, his care, and that he sees you with whatever we're bringing into this place with. Amen? Amen. All right, so today we're going to continue our series in Mark, and we're going to look at the time where Jesus called his first disciples to himself. So that's going to be at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, did you know that just like Jesus called his disciples here, he also calls us today too? This time, we don't need to be by the Sea of Galilee or by a phone to pick up the call. (laughs) You know, I remember as a kid or or as a teenager, I would sometimes, when I would be expecting a phone call, I would camp out beside the phone, uh, especially when I would expect a girl to call because I didn't want my sisters to pick up first and, you know, give that person, why are you calling my little brother? Uh, And I didn't want my parents to pick up the call either, so I would just kind of be right by the phone and pick it up first. You know, we don't really do that these days, right? We got call display, and, and if anything, instead of picking up the calls, we probably do more screening of calls first, right? You're like, yeah, no. <laughs> so if that's the case, what does it look like for us to receive the call from Jesus, right? We're obviously not talking about going to the Sea of Galilee or picking up an actual physical phone, but just like Jesus called his disciples, he calls us today too. So how, right, how does he do that? Or or maybe the better question is why, right? Why does Jesus call us today? Why does he call you? Why does he call me? 
Well, that's the question that we're going to be addressing today. And the first reason is this. Jesus calls us today because he has a spot for us. He has a spot for us. Back in school, whether it was PE, recess, or lunch, I don't know if you ever remember being lined up against a wall and there were two teams and, and you had to pick. Uh, you're, you're either being picked for this team or that team. Do any of you remember that horrible experience of being chosen in that way? I mean, it was great if you were picked first, but if you're like the last two, I mean, it was a death match. Like, are you going to be picked first or am I going to be picked first? And if you were the second to last one being picked, you were like, yeah, I got picked first, sucker, right? And then this person's like, yeah, but it's not like you're any better. You were second to last. I guess we ought to play this game, right? We, you, have, you have this experience. And if you were ever picked last, you know, right? You probably know what that felt like. Felt horrible, <laughs> felt embarrassing, it felt shameful, it, it felt like you're kind of just left out or not good enough, or, or maybe you're like, I'm never going to do that again because I, don't, I, don't, I didn't like what just happened. Well, that's not what's going on here. Jesus didn't begrudgingly see Simon, Andrew, James, and John by the water, and they're like, oh, I guess I got to choose you guys because no one else is better. So follow me. Keep your distance. I don't really want to be associated with you, but follow me. Right? Like, that's not what happened here. Jesus didn't choose these four last. He actually chose them first. They were the first four disciples chosen. So let's read about this again. Let's see the nuances of what happened here because he is essentially calling them to himself and saying, I have a spot for you. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, what's interesting about this is that historically, rabbis didn't choose their disciples. Pupils, if they wanted to follow a rabbi, they would actually go to that rabbi and ask to follow him. And, and, and when they asked to follow him, it wouldn't even be an automatic yes. The, the rabbi would still have to say, okay, maybe. And that's how the process would begin. It wasn't an automatic yes. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus is different. He is, he is different because not only is he asking the disciples to follow him, rather than the disciples asking to follow Jesus, he is, he is not just saying, hey, follow the Torah, which rabbis would have done. He is asking his disciples to follow him, to follow him. That's not what rabbis did. Rabbis never asked people to follow them. Just consider what this theologian said. In the Old Testament, the idea of following God is rare, if not absent. Neither Moses nor the kings nor the various men of God nor the prophets call people as a rule to follow them. The summons rather is to walk in God's ways and according to his statutes. But Jesus calls the four to himself. He calls the four 
to himself. Jesus doesn't call these four to follow the Torah. He's calling them to follow him. And what's interesting is that he doesn't ask them to do anything before they follow him, which rabbis would have done too. It's like, oh, you want to follow me? Okay, well, if you want to follow me, then let's see what you know. Here's a knowledge test of the Torah. Here is a theology exam. Here's a fitness test because you got to keep up with me, right? Whatever it might have been, rabbis would test their, fault, their potential followers to see if they were fit, if they knew enough, if they're skilled enough to follow him. But Jesus here, what's interesting, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't say follow me once you pass this. He says, follow me, period, because he knows that everything that these disciples actually need to know can only be known and learnt as they follow Jesus. So that's what's happening here in this passage. Don't you find that it's sort of similar today too? Like, don't you find that we will choose to follow someone and not follow someone else? There's buttons for that, right? Follow, unfollow. Uh, subscribe, oh, I like your content, oh, this is, uh, not anymore, too much, too much, unsubscribe, uh, hide, uh, you know, some of you are bold to unfriend, but, you know, they know that you unfriended them, so there, there's this hide button, and, and you, you hide someone, or if you really like their content, you highlight them, I mean, there's this thing that we do, right, where we feel like we are in control, where we can, where we, it, it, is, it is our it is our decision to choose to follow someone or not. And in a lot of life, that's true, but, but when it comes to Jesus, it's not actually the same thing. Yes, yes, we can choose to follow Jesus, but what we need to realize is before we chose to follow Jesus, before we saw Jesus, before we knew about God, God saw us first. Right, and that's what's happening here. Peter, uh, you know, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they're like, wow. Jesus, you are calling us? Remember, that's, that's not normal. That's not what anyone experienced then. And he said, like, you are calling me? I thought it was supposed to be the other way around. And you know, the same is true for us. Before you came to Beulah, <laughs> before you knew about Beulah, before you knew Jesus, before you knew about God, before you were sensing a, a, a restlessness in your soul, wondering if there is more to life than this, God saw you first. He pursued you first. He knew you first. That's what we see here in this passage. So just like Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they had to first respond and then follow, the same is true for us. We need to first respond and then follow. Friends, God has a plan, a plan that's bigger than you, a plan that's bigger than, than me, myself, and I, right? A plan that's, that's greater than anything we could ever hope for or imagine, a plan that predates us, a plan that pulsates each and every one of us. He has a plan for each and every one of us, and the fact of the matter is that he can use anyone to accomplish his plan and purposes, but he chooses to use you and I. He's choosing to call us. Not us in general, but us specifically. 
So what do you think it would look like if we were to respond like Simon, Andrew, James, and John did? Not reluctantly, because we're not the last ones being chosen, but actually with joy, because we're the first ones leaving that wall. So why does Jesus call us? Well, he also calls us because he wants a relationship with us. And that's our second point. He wants a relationship with us. Going, going back to that analogy of the wall and the sports and being chosen, um, for me, growing up, anytime we would play hockey, I, I don't mean to brag, it's going to sound like a brag, but, but every time we played hockey, I would always be one of the first ones chosen if I wasn't already the team captain. And here's why. It wasn't because I knew the people who were the team captains or because I had an in and you know, I, I knew people in high places. It, it was because... On the weekends and in the evenings, I would spend hours upon hours in my parents' carport shooting against that red brick wall. I didn't have a net with the different targets or anything like that. It was just against the red brick wall. And I would literally spend hours doing wrist shots at different parts of the net. So that when it was time to play hockey, I could go in and play against anyone and always be able to shoot on target. So why am I sharing all this? Well, it's because I could have been enemies with that team captain. <laughs> right? I didn't even have to know who they were. But the reason I would be one of the first ones who would get chosen is because of my skills. Because of my skills. Friends, that's not what's happening here. It's not why Jesus has chosen Simon, Andrew, James, and John. He didn't do it because uh, he was hungry and he wanted to go get some fishermen to be his friends so that he could get free food, right? Like that's not what happened. It's not like the carpentry industry was down or was saturated with too many carpenters. So we had to switch industries and go to fishing. That's not what happened here. Jesus called them because he wanted a relationship with them. These guys weren't hobby fishermen who would go out to Wabaman on the weekend and, and, and go fishing for the gram, just like this guy here. <laughs> uh, fishing was their career. They would never do something like that. They never took photos of their, their fish. Fishing was their family business. In fact, let's look at verse 16 again. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. In the first century, fishing was a thriving industry on the Sea of Galilee. And to give you a sense of how big the industry was, in about AD 68, there was a war in Galilee, and one historian reported that because of the war, all the fishing boats were commandeered. Okay, it makes sense. There were 230 fishing boats that were commandeered on the Sea of Galilee. There were 14 ports around Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and many towns that were actually named after the industry. Just consider this. Bethsaida, the town of Bethsaida stands for the house of the fisher. The town of Magdala stands for fish tower. 
And the town of Terake stands for salted fish. Right? I mean, like, that just goes to show you that this fishing wasn't like just for, it wasn't a hobby sport over there. It was the thriving central industry in and around the Sea of Galilee. And, and the fish that were caught weren't just for local restaurants or, or fresh sushi over there. The, the fish that were caught were exported as far as Alexandria and Egypt and Antioch and Syria. Because you wanted to eat fish from Galilee, right? That was the reputation that this area, that this region had. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, meat, right, beef or pork or chicken, that wasn't, or, or, or goats, or what, that wasn't the central staple food. It was actually fish. So that's the context of what's going on, okay? And I'm sharing all this because I wanted to point out the fact that Simon, Andrew, James, and John, for them, fishing wasn't their side hustle. Fishing wasn't something that they did because they didn't have anything better to do. It was the market and it was incredibly competitive. So when Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't that they were just bored and just left behind something that didn't matter much to them. When Jesus said to them, follow me, that was a huge ask. In fact, one theologian said that these guys, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, um, for them, they were actually shrewd and successful businessmen. Have you ever thought of it? I mean, I, I know we, we think of them as disciples and we think of them as, as fishermen, but have you ever thought of them as businessmen? Like with the industry being as central as it is, they must have been in order to thrive and operate in that time of day. So when they dropped everything and followed Jesus, I mean, this wasn't like some Ponzi scheme of a guy, some scammer coming and saying, if you follow me, I'll guarantee you $1 million. I'm sure they had people coming to them and asking them to, to do something or to take something on, right? Because this was, this was the central industry of that day in that region. So when Jesus came, and he said, follow me. I mean, there must have been something that set apart Jesus from everyone else that they had interaction with, right? I mean, for them to, to, to leave behind their, their, their living, their life, to follow someone that they had just heard of, there must have been something different about Jesus. They knew that Jesus wasn't after their skills. I mean, sometimes people would come to them and be like, oh, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And you do this and I do this. And that's not what it was for Jesus because he, he wasn't after theirs. He knew they were skilled, but he wasn't after their skills because, because he actually asked them to leave it all behind. Jesus was after something more. He was after their heart. He was after a relationship with them. That's why he called them to himself, because he wanted a relationship with them. Not a relationship with the Torah, but a relationship with him. And he was inviting them to begin a relationship with the Savior, the Messiah, and the King of the world. So in the face of this, right, these guys dropped everything, and, and, when, and when they dropped everything, they, they experienced a fundamental identity shift, right? They went from fishermen to followers, from experts to students. You know, the same is true for us, isn't it? 
when we choose to follow Jesus, when he calls us to himself, he's not calling us to himself because he wants what we have or, or he wants to leverage our connections or, 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 or he, wants, he, wants, he wants whatever it is, right? It's not the reason Jesus calls us to himself. The reason Jesus calls us to himself is because he wants who we are. He wants our hearts. His motive is pure. He doesn't want us for what we can give him. He wants us because of who we are. That's why he extended the invitation to Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and why he's extending that invitation to us today. And I'm curious if you hear him. I'm curious if you're hearing him say, follow me. Today we've been unpacking a few different reasons why Jesus calls us to himself, right? The first reason is because he has a spot for us. The second reason Jesus calls us to himself is because he wants to have a relationship with us. And, and the third reason is because his mission is urgent. His mission is urgent. You know, when I, when I hear that word mission, I immediately think of mission impossible. Doom. Here's your mission if you so choose to accept it. Right? This message will now self-destruct in five, four, three, and then it goes and then poof, and it goes away, right? That's what I think about when I hear about Jesus' mission, and I think about this mission that he is calling not just some to, but all of us to. Last week, we unpacked his mission statement, didn't we? It's in verse 15. This time, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the mission of Jesus, the mission that he's inviting every single one of us to. He knows, right, in this, that the time had come. The Kairos time had finally arrived. And he wasn't ushering in a new religion. He was ushering in a new reality. And he's saying, repent, believe the good news, leave behind what was. The old has gone, the new has come. Let's go. Let's go. Your life will never be the same. This is his mission. And, and to show you how urgent his mission was, uh, in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, he talks about this and he explains the urgency of this mission. Take a look here. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The mission that I am calling you on doesn't just need a few experts over here or a few people over there. What we need, what this mission needs is more followers, more people. Because the harvest is abundant and the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So because Jesus' mission was so urgent and important, he went around everywhere trying to rally the troops. Follow me, 
follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. I'm going to invite you into something greater and grander than you could ever hope of or imagine. Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. He was saying following me isn't about head knowledge. Following me is about being with me, becoming like me, and doing what I do. You don't have to follow me, but if you do, you'll never regret it. And following me isn't all going to be easy. Actually, following me is going to require surrender. Following me is going to require sacrifice. Right? These disciples had to leave behind their nets. It's an important mission. But it's not just that. When you follow me, you're going to experience joy, abundant joy, unending meaning and purpose to an extent that you've never experienced that before. And other people, other things, other jobs, other careers, other, other things say, yes, if you do this, then you're going to be fulfilled. If you do this, then, then, then that thing, that restlessness in your soul is going to be satisfied. But no, it never does, does it? it only does with Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Follow me. Follow me. You know, when Jesus was inviting these disciples to follow him and fish for people, he was essentially inviting them to join him on his mission. He was giving them the manila envelope and being like, dun, 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 right? Like, if you, here's your mission, if you choose to accept it. But this time, it wouldn't self-destruct because he wanted everyone to know about it. And he's calling all of us into it. And you know, he's extending the same invitation to us today. Not to some, but to all. And he's saying to each and every one of us, will you be my witness? Will you join me in my mission? Will you leave behind what's most important to you so that I can show you what's even better? It wasn't an easy decision for these fishermen and he knows it's not an easy decision for us. Yet he still extends it to each and every one of us because that's how important and urgent his mission is. I'm curious if you've ever cast a net before. Anyone? I'm not talking about the dollar store nets, you know, the ones that are like, uh, that you buy and that my kids have tried to, you know, they always ask for one when we're going to the beach and they, because they try to catch the fish and, and it never works, right? Like the fish are, they just taunt you. Like they're right there, right by your feet. The moment you put, and they're like, come on, come on, catch me. And the moment you put your net in, they just go right away. The only fish that my kids have ever caught were dead fish. And at that, it was like, oh, that's gross. Like, put that back. We don't want that. In the scripture, we read about this, these, these guys, right? Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They, they have their nets. They're putting their nets in order. And, and, and sometimes we can imagine the nets as something, you know, like one of those crab nets or something like that. But, but the nets that they were handling in that time were 20 foot in diameter lengths of nets. Okay, so I'm, I'm almost six feet, so it's like six, 12, 18. Like, can you imagine how big a 20-foot-in-diameter net is? 
Okay, and not only that, it was circular in diameter, and all around the edges there were metal rods or there were heavy rocks. And what they would do on the edge of the boat or on the edge of the, the shore, they would, they would grab this net and they would fling it out. Okay? Because they would, they would want to fling it out so it lands like a parachute on the, on the water and just sinks down into the ground and onto the ground. Now, can you imagine doing that? Like, they, it's hard enough to, to do that. Just, I mean, it looks graceful doing it without anything, right? Kind of dancing here. Um, but, but, but with something as heavy as that, with enough weight so that it could sink down to the ground, on the side of a boat, can you imagine trying to do that without the boat tipping over? Like how much skill that would require? And that's one thing, right? But then after that, it's not like they just had an automatic reeling in system, right? And, and, and they were just waiting for the, the fish to get caught and they just pull it in. No, the, the fishermen in that day had to dive into the water. And they didn't have scuba diving equipment. I don't know if they had goggles. Probably didn't either. And they are in the water swimming down and grabbing all the edges of the net. Right? Because basically the net goes into the, uh, into the water and it traps all the fish around. So, so you're, you're grabbing, you're, you're underwater, you're holding, your, you have your eyes open. I can't do that. <laughs> right? You have your eyes open, you're swimming, you're holding your breath, you're gathering all that, and if you, if you need to pull that onto the boat, like how do you do that? How do you hold all the weights underwater and give it to your, your, your friend on the boat? Or, or if you have to swim and drag it onto the shore, I mean, that's a whole, whole other thing. I'm sharing this all with you because fishing back then required a lot of skill. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they knew what they were doing. They were good at what they were doing. And in the same way, I know that there are many of you here today who are really good at what you do. You may not be a fisherman, but you are really good at what you do. You have skills. And there are others of you who are trying to figure out what you're good at. You're in between careers, or you're going from one thing to another, and and then there are some of you here who, who you are really good at what you do, but you don't get paid for it anymore because you're retired. And you're trying to figure that out now. When Jesus went to these disciples, he didn't extend a half-hearted follow me. Oh, I, I guess I'll follow you because I have nothing better to do. He extended a challenging invitation. Follow me. And that's what that should feel like. That following Jesus isn't a half-hearted, I guess, because I'm bored. It's an all-of-life thing. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus said, follow me, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, it's not, like they ever, it's, not, it's not like they never fished again. They did. And James and John, they were with their dad, and they, they left their dad and went to follow Jesus. It's not like they never saw their dad or, or talked to their dad either. It's, that's not the case. So, so when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's not, it's not like you automatically have to throw away everything that you've ever done and everything that you ever have. But that next statement, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people, that next statement, I think, I think that's pretty contextual to each and every one of us. Where Jesus says to each and every one of us, follow me, but what he says next, 
I think that's something that we need to discern. What does it mean? Not whether or not to, but what does it mean to follow Jesus right now? What are you deriving your sense of self-worth from? What are you deriving your identity in? Do you see everything that you have as yours or do you see everything that you have as that you are actually a steward of all that you have, that nothing that you have is yours? You're actually a steward and not an owner. What is he saying to you next? He's saying to each and every one of us, follow me, but then what is that, what is that phrase afterwards? That's what I want to invite you to discern. I'm going to invite the the, the team up to lead us in a song. And when they do, man, can we sincerely and prayerfully discern that question? Jesus, I know you're asking me to follow you, but what is that next statement? What does it mean? Fish for people? What does it mean for me to fish for people at this time and season and stage of my life? Not what it was before, what it's going to be, but right now, today, what does that mean? So as the team leads us in this song, I want to invite you to pray about that. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand and let's discern this together. What does that statement mean? Follow me and I will make you Let's reflect on that. Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.